Welcome to the Alaska Land Podcast, stories from the Fairbanks North Star Borough's past, present, and future, with your host, Mayor Bryce Ward. Each episode, we'll sit down with Fairbanks' most interesting characters for a fascinating conversation about where we've been and where we're going. And now, Mayor Ward. Hey everyone, it's uh, the Alaska Land Podcast. It's me, Mayor Bryce Ward. Uh, today we have a special guest with us, Linda Setterberg. Uh, and we're going to talk about all things Fairbanks and some of the work that uh, she's been doing here in the community. So Linda, um, it's a pleasure to have you here at Cabin 13. Uh, maybe tell us a little bit about yourself for folks that maybe don't know who you are. Maybe, maybe you've heard the name, uh, but uh, let's share a little bit. Thank you for inviting me, Mayor Ward. It's nice to be here. Um, I have been in Fairbanks since 1982. I was pregnant with my first daughter, Lacey. Uh, very familiar name <laughs> in Fairbanks, maybe. But anyway, she was uh, she was born here. Uh, we came up to work for our family business, um, uh, Black Gold Ex- Express out in North Pole, and Mike was going to run the shop. Well, we uh, we were poor, and there wasn't enough money to support two families, so Mike had to get work, and so he went to work for the University of Alaska in the power plant, where he spent thirty years. Um, I he told me I didn't have to come. He was just going to try it out for a year, see if he liked Alaska. But he he was real taken with it when he he came up with Jim on a on a truck run, and um, I said, well, I would follow him if he left me. <laughs> so <laughs> he better not leave me behind. <laughs> so anyway, we've been here uh, always in, intending to leave and never leaving, and um, and then of course our family. So you know, my I have a brother and sister here, and. And they're all their kids and grandkids. So, you know, we've we've kind of, you know, established ourselves. That's the way it works, right? Yeah. You know, families here and yeah. and kids and grandkids and and there you go. So <laughs> Yeah. So I've done whatever I want. Um <laughs> I was I'm a nurse. I um I have a, a bachelor of science in nursing. So I worked um in different jobs. I've worked for Tana Chiefs Conference and Oh, you know, for a little while, and um, for Dr. Kamek, who was a great friend of mine, and um, and then when the kids were in school, um, I have uh, my daughter Lacey, and then two sons, John and Eric, and when they were at Joy Elementary, I got a job there as a school nurse, so that was great fun. And then my daughter, who was graduating from West Valley, said, "Oh, you should come be at my school." So I was school. A couple times I've been a, the school nurse at West Valley and Hutch. So, yeah. So and then um, working with teenagers there and realizing, you know, the limited opportunities that we had. Um, I started listening to kids and and uh, we started Joel's Place. So that was in 1999. And so I gave up my nursing and uh, actually even my license because I thought I'd need to be able to give those boys Tylenol when they get hurt. <laughs> <laughs> so we didn't start out. We started out mostly as a music venue. Um, and uh, and then we we um, we happened on the um, the old Vend Alaska building on Marika. And in 2005, we started Joel's Place. And so you know a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, and then we retired. Mike retired from the university, and we decided, okay, younger people can do this, and uh, transitioned, and then went back for a while. And you know, we uh, the skate park coalition helped build the, you know, redo the park in North Pole, and yeah, yeah. So anyway, but um, I, um, it, my story really uh, uh, changed um, in 
oh, I was, I'm going to say 2017, I was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And um, so, you know, that that shakes up your whole life. It sure does. Um, I had just resigned from Joel's place because we were there temporarily. And um, and uh, and I thought, man, it just feels so weird. But a month later, I was on my way to the University of Washington to have brain surgery. So all things uh, longer story than that than we have time for today. <laughs> but um, but about three months after I got my last clear, it wasn't cancer. I was gonna live. And, you know, I wasn't sick. I mean, I didn't mm-hmm. feel sick. I just, uh, you know, had some, you know, um, vertigo and had gone in. So I have a cerebellar tumor that was removed. But anyway, um, Brenda Stanfill found me because um, we'd but done nonprofit work together and said, "I I have a job for you." And I said, I'm not sure I'm ready to come back to work. She said, well, you don't have, you can work whenever you want. And, um, and so I just started working and then she said, would you apply for this job (laughs) as a reentry coalition coordinator? Um, and I said, well, sure. And I thought, I don't know that I'll get it, but you know, um, we'd had some experiences that kind of made me, you know, with family that really made me interested in what happened to people after they'd been incarcerated and um, and so I interviewed with uh, you know the um, the superintendent of FCC and probation officer and you know someone from the rescue mission and they hired me and it was like that was really weird and I found out later they didn't interview anyone else <laughs> so <laughs> I was a little bit of a shoe in there and um, but I really loved it, that work and I um, and um, in the process of that. Uh, we started a couple programs called The Bridge. And um, and they're now programs of Interior Alaska Center for Nonviolent Living. And we have peer support, supported employment. And we just got a grant to put peer support specialists in the mobile crisis team for Crisis Now. So we'll be partnering with Alaska Behavioral Health. I think it will give us um, the opportunity to to um, to help families with younger, um, you know, younger people that are in crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, when we're at the bridge doing reentry, that's all with adults. But when we start going out with the city fire department, you know, it'll be whatever call is. And our first grant that we got was for um, most of the grants we've gotten have been around the opioid crisis. And so um, the uh, Restore Hope grant that we got with the city, the city actually got it and we're um, we're going to be going sending peers out with um, the fire department starting April August first, and um, so that's a opioid response grant um, in its heart. Mm-hmm. Although at risk of kind of opens up the door to any kind of addiction, um, and you know we've had the experience of a you know of a friend of ours who overdosed on uh, fentanyl, um, heart stopped, he was drunk, just at a party, somebody slipped him something. And his heart stopped and oh um, ended up being on a ventilator and and living through that. But a lot of people um, don't live through it. And so that's, that's just the really heart of it. Um, when people are incarcerated and they've been using drugs, if they get out and they use the same amount of opioids that they used before they went in, you know, that can overdose. They can overdose from that, too. So this is really, um, you know, it's um, a lot of things that we do that you think, oh, well, that's not really about that, but it really is about giving people a chance to get housing, you know, to, um, you know, get good jobs. Um, and so our employment program is all about, um, uh, about competitive employment. 
So you shouldn't have to go work in a vocational program, right, that you're not interested in. You should be able to pursue whatever job it is that a, that a person's been trained for and, and wants to do. Um, if um, somebody wants to listen to the Reentry Coalition, we have Fairbanks Reentry Coalition uh, YouTube, and I have some interviews there. Um, you know, sometimes people, even after they've had good work, they've had degrees, you know, because of surgery or whatever, they get addicted, you know, and lose everything. Mm-hmm. You know, there has to be a way to be restored. And um, so I really believe in that. And that really speaks to the work that you're doing about helping restore people, get back into the workforce, become um, functioning members of society. Is that a fair yeah, way of saying it? It is. And um, and I think that, you know, we've COVID, of course, has really changed everything. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the programs that our staff were doing was doing inside the facility, you know, they couldn't go in. Um, and hopefully this month in August or, you know, um, we'll start going back into, um, the jail and, um, and we have a reentry case manager who's actually going to be going to some of the other facilities just to let them know that if they come to Fairbanks, you know, we do have some supports in place that they can apply for. So, so let's maybe take a step back for folks that are not familiar with reentry and kind of the, the, the basis of, of the work that you do. Um, can you maybe give an explanation of what that what that means, what that looks like for um, you, you've given us some examples, but maybe um, take someone through that hasn't maybe doesn't have an experience in this? Yeah. Um, so when people are, um, you know, well, first of all, Fairbanks has a pretrial facility, right? Mm-hmm. So people only serve short term sentences there or if they're waiting trial, they could be there for years. Right. But when they're sentenced, um, then they go to one of the other um, DOC facilities um, around Alaska. And luckily in Alaska, you know, because there was a time where people had to go out um, out of the state to be um, serve their sentences. I think there's no federal um prison here. So people do still have to go out of state if they have federal charges. Mm-hmm. But when they come back, um, the we have um, the Department of Health and Social Services has a reentry grant um, that 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 um, we have, and um, and so if someone's at really high risk of recidivism, so recidivism is going back to jail. Um, it would be nice if it was only for new charges, but that's not how it's uh, measured here. It's measured so any kind of technical violation that sends someone back. Um, uh, it would go back to jail. So there's a three-year recidivism rate. And what our goal is, is to help people, f- to keep people out of jail. Certainly. Right. And so um, some of the main things that people need are, of course, you know, help with housing. They need, you know, clothes. Sometimes people get out of jail with uh, with a box, right? Nowhere to go. So luckily we have a rescue mission where people can go. But, but one of the things that we found is that, um, sometimes a rescue mission is is on the other end. Do you know what I mean? That uh, people who haven't, you know, d- made decisions, you know, to get into recovery or whatever. So, mm-hmm. so the bridge is really offering recovery support for people um, that are coming out. Um, uh, but our grants aren't limited to that. So that's where the mobile crisis team comes in. Is that we've been doing encampment outreach. Um, if you follow us on on uh, Facebook, you'll notice that. You know, sometimes people say, well, there's a guy camping over here and, you know, that they're going to evict him, you know, and we'll send one of our encampment people over just to check it out and to see if they need services or help when they're 
you know, having to move. So, you know, one of the one of the programs that you mentioned was the mobile crisis team. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is kind of this is a new thing it for is. Fairbanks. Um, and, and the concept behind it is I, I, I'll say revolutionary in some ways because it really is. We haven't done this before, but how we respond to other emergencies, it's very similar to that. So maybe could you explain a little bit about yeah. the mobile crisis so team? So the mobile crisis team is um, going to be made up of a clinician um, in, in the end. You know, we're 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 transitioning, right? Slow and steady, intentional, building. building. Right. So, but it will have a clinician from Alaska Behavioral Health and a peer support from the bridge, and um, and they'll go out um, eventually without law enforcement and without um, the paramedics uh, when that's safe. So, if it's perceived to be just a behavioral health crisis, then the police wouldn't be involved. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that you know when um, somebody comes out to help. You know, um, we've had the experience in our family and, you know, you don't really want the police to be the ones to respond. They're they're They have to do things like, you know, restraining orders and all those kind, you know, all those kinds right. of things that the families sometimes then don't end up asking for help because they know what the help means. And so this um, by July uh, 2022, there'll be a new number, 988. Have you heard about that? I have, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so nine eight eight will be um, will be um, picked up by um, our care line. Will mm-hmm. be the call center, and um, and then they'll determine if they can help them over the phone or if or if somebody needs to go out and who needs to go out. But in in the end, that it's it's a really um, it really um, leaves our police and our fire department for fires, and you know critical incidents that are happening in our community. You know, I think the unique thing about that program is recognizing, you know, we we identify emergencies within our community based on a health emergency, a physical health emergency, right. call an ambulance, uh, a law enforcement issue. Uh, we, we call the, the police department, but if you have a mental health challenge, um, there's really no resource for folks right now. And so this provides that resource. So if you need assistance or help or um, you know there's an issue ongoing you could talk to folks who know what uh what you're going through and what experience uh what 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 kind of services can be provided yeah and i think that like in my in my heart i think that you know that first psychotic break or that first thing that a, a young person goes through because you know a lot of severe mental illness is diagnosed in the early 20s you know late teens and um, so for families who've had no experience, you know, um, you know, the crisis now is going to be um, four things. One, the call center, if it can be handled by someone on the phone. Mm-hmm. The, the mobile crisis team can go out if they need more support. And then if, they, if that doesn't work, they can take them to a 23-hour stabilization center where there's no wrong door. Right in five minutes, you drop them off, and then they for twenty three hours somebody is finding out what it what's going on, and then uh, there's also to be um, like a, a short term stabilization, so um, you know like um, seven days, three to seven days, mm-hmm. where somebody could go and um, wait for a bed maybe at API if that's what they need, but if it can be resolved here locally, it'll it that will happen, and so the partners are being raised up for that those the second two phases of that, the 23-hour stabilization and the and the short-term stabilization. And then Alaska Behavioral Health, I'm on their board. Um, they um, just bought property in Fairbanks for residential mental health treatment for adults. And so 
Um, it'll start, I think, with you know, eight to sixteen beds, but sixteen beds is what their what their goal is. So that's really exciting for our community. We haven't had that ever. Yeah. Yeah, that's great to have that resource here in town. Yeah. Uh, well, Linda, it's been an absolute pleasure to learn a little bit more about yourself and the work that you're doing yeah. here in the community with the bridge. Um, and about some of these connecting agencies that you're working with for the yeah. crisis, uh, the mobile crisis team. Um, and I know we have a tremendous wealth of resources in we Fairbanks do. to deal with um, these issues and challenges as they come up. So I just would encourage anyone to reach out um, to to the bridge, uh, to your uh, to your office if yeah. there's if they need help in that area or if sure. you just like more information. Yeah. So thanks for providing that. And um, do you have any final uh, thoughts for anyone before we leave? Um, I just am really uh, privileged to be here. Um, we're long t time Fairbanksans, so I guess we're going to be here for the whole 40 or longer. <laughs> and and uh, I also like to just say, you know, the Setterbergs are spending their tier one retirement right here at home. So, you know, anyway, well, it's great. Thank you so much for your time today um, and hope folks uh, have found this encouraging. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, if uh, if you want to get more involved, please reach out. Uh, so. Uh, for that, we'll, we'll end our episode today. Thanks, everyone, and we'll see you next time. Fairbanks, oh Fairbanks. Thanks for listening to the Alaska Land Podcast. We hope you found today's conversation enlightening. For more episodes, listen on your mobile device through your favorite podcast app or watch at youtube.com slash Fairbanks North Star Borough. The Adventure Show.